manufacturing hub. Very excited to continue our systems integration, systems integrators of the future theme. Again, thank you to our friends at Opto22 for going ahead and sponsoring this theme. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you are new here, we do things a little bit differently. So our goal is to have an open and fun conversation. We absolutely love chat. If you guys have questions about the things that we're talking about or about other things, please feel free to go ahead and drop them in the chat. You, depending upon where you're watching, LinkedIn and then YouTube are our busiest chats over the course of the show. We will do our best to go ahead and answer the questions. Sometimes we've got questions that come in that are a bit too technical that we won't be able to answer here and we will do our best to go ahead and get back to them in the comments below. Then I will also say chat just is generally fairly active, of course, across a variety of the shows. So you all can go ahead and have conversations in and amongst yourselves. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. Everyone officially welcome to Manufacturing Up. My name is Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. All June 2023 long, we're talking about Systems Integrators of the Future, sponsored by our friends at Opto22, and we have a very special guest today, Travis Cox of Inductive Automation. Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Super excited and honored that I get to be on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Travis. Really appreciate your time. Before we dive into the conversation around Systems Integrators, could you give us a little bit of your background, please? Yeah, sure. As states, Travis Cox. I'm currently the Chief Technology Evangelist for Inductive Automation. I'm super excited about that title. I love what I do these days. But my background is I have a computer science engineering degree from UC Davis. And I actually started working with Steve Heckman and on the integration side of the business when I was a sophomore in college. So this has been my career. I've been lucky to be able to come into this and to, to be able to help to see the growth of inductive automation over the years. But I came in originally to help with some of the integrated integration needs. And of course we could talk more about that, but yeah, now almost going on 20 years, I've been with inductive automation. So pretty exciting. Awesome. If I can ask you a little bit from that computer science background, were you like interested in manufacturing? Was there something that pulled you in that direction? What was your thoughts initially when making that career commitment? Yeah, so I completely landed in this field. I can tell you that I had no idea or nobody, no, the counselors never recommended going into <laughs> industrial automation or even that there was these opportunities that existed there. When I was in college, my, my track was more towards becoming a DBA. I was focused on a lot on databases. You talk to counselors, they talk about going to big tech, going to a certain career paths, and that's where I was headed. But when I got introduced to the integrator and, and to this industry, I realized just how amazing it is and how much potential there really is. And so I'm really happy that I have that engineering background as well. I was, when I went to college, I could have just focused on computer science, but I really wanted to be a little more well-rounded. So computer science engineering, I, I got to be able to get the best of both worlds. And that was really helpful, of course, transitioning into the industrial world, having an engineering background. And Travis, I guess like most of the listeners, including myself, know Inductive primarily for the SCADA platform, Ignition, that is today. And you mentioned that early on you joined as a systems integrator or helping those efforts. I want to just be clear, what was the history at the time? So that was a purely integration business when you first joined and then it went through that transition. Could you paint us a picture there? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I can't get a story too of how everything got formed, right? With inductive automation, but yeah. 
So we, Indexable Automation grew up from integration roots. So the Steve Hackman is founder of, of Indexable Automation, ran Calmetrics Company, which was an integrator in Northern California out of Sacramento, and ran it for over 20 years. And he really was using all the different products that are out there, right? Providing services to, to end users around the area. He did a lot in food and beverage, especially wineries. Like the like kind of the Charles Shaw, Two Buck Chucks, a lot of like Sutter Home, things like in, in Napa, did a lot of work for them and did full integration services. They didn't do panel build outs, but they did the PLC programmings, right? They did a SCADA and all of that. And really was kind of just frustrated with what was available, what they can offer to their customers. And so a lot like a lot of other integrators decided, hey, I'm gonna see if there's nothing off the shelf, so I'm gonna try to build software that we that can help un help us do more for our customers and, uh, and feel better about the overall solutions that we're providing. And that's where he set off uh, on this adventure. And that's how Inductive Automation really got formed. I came in, so the way the story goes is Steve had, has a, had a friend whose son was going to UC Davis as well. And uh, that is Nathan Boger. And he works with Inductive today. And he was doing a lot of IT stuff for the integration, helping with a lot of that. And ultimately when Steve said, Hey, I want to build some software asked, do you have any friends who are programmers that would be, that we can bring in? And so Nathan at being at UC Davis brought, I was good friends with Colby Clegg, who is our CEO today. And he came in, brought him in to build the first product of, of inductive automation. And that was called a factory SQL. And it was a product that was to bridge PLC data. OPC to SQL databases. Steve really, the big thing that, that Steve was frustrated with was that data was locked and siloed into systems that he wanted to provide data to more people. He was frustrated with like licensing. I can only provide consoles to a few different people or clients to different people. And I can't build out the whole system that I want because I'm, I have to limit based on the tag limitations that are there and the various frustrations in terms of the overall scope of project. He looked at a project and thought and saw if the overall budget, 80% of that maybe goes to software and hardware, where then 20% was implementation. Well, then you have to cut corners, right? In the 20%, you have to try to figure out how to delight the customer and provide the full solution with that 20%. He really wanted to flip the coin around where he could provide the software and hardware cost 20% and everything provide 80% of the, of that budget to the implementation, to the integration side of things. And wanted to unlock the data, wanted to put it into a SQL database. It's that, that was technology that was when we started 20 years ago, right? It was very well, well known and established and, and the IT space was had to provide a lot of benefits. We wanted to get there, get into open format and wanted to get data to more people. Basically leverage some simple web pages and let people see the data that they had. And when Colby came in, he wrote Factor SQL, which was to take data from OPC, put it into a SQL database. And that was it. It just was a bi-directional data bridge. And it took data from RS links as an OPC server. We didn't have drivers in the product then. So it was because the standard, because OPC existed, we were able to make that work. And Steve, it's a really cool, we have it framed, but he, he drew up his vision of what that product looked like on a piece of paper, we'll call it like our napkin drawing, right? It was like the beginnings of inductive automation, drew up what, he, what this interface should look like and mainly factor SQL and, and Colby made that a reality. I think they did that within a couple of weeks when they, when he first came in and it was, if you're not familiar with, with ignition today, ignition, the factor SQL transitioned into a module ignition called SQL bridge. And it was focused on these things called transaction groups and transaction groups were just simple groups that would, you would bring in data from OPC. So various data points 
and you would then map them to a database table and to columns. So you would, maybe I want to update a record in a database, or maybe I want to insert a new record for history. It was really just to bridge the data, map it between OPC and that SQL database. And just to have that data stored, because once it's in there, we can query it and do all sorts of fun stuff, right? With that. And yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, just to confirm, as someone who's, I want to say, very interested in startups and how I want to say those things really took place. So I just want to confirm that the initial minimum viable product was that bridge versus I think right. now a lot of people rave about the interface and we see the cool like web screens that you can build on the SCADA. But at the time, customers were able to install that bridge and that was a big problem that was solved at the time, correct? Yeah, exactly. So it was, that was the original product. Now we, the, so Colby came in first and there was a need for the front end. So you're absolutely right. So you're spot on there, Vlad. We need to have the front end. And so Colby did bring in Carl Gould, who is our CTO. And Carl was a Java programmer and especially specifically Java Swing too in the front end side. And he came in to start building out what we call factory PMI, which was the plant management interface, which is the front end to that data. So the SQL database would have been the center of our model, right? Factory SQL put data in the database, factory PMI would query that database. Now, when I came in, so Colby and I have actually been friends and grew up together. Actually, we bowled in leagues as, as youth and, and that's how we met, right? And so I was a couple years behind him in college, but because of my interest in databases and the interest in terms of building web applications, I was brought in and it was really to start developing and, and not developing, excuse me, but to put the factory SQL product into, into customers, into the, for, for CalMetrics as customers, integrate that solution. And so when I came in, factory PMI wasn't completed yet. So we were building website front ends over on PHP for these customers. And this was all meant to be only for the integration company. Right. This was, we weren't a software company yet. We were just building it for our own customers. And so what was the year? Sorry, Travis, to interrupt just so we can yeah. put a timeline. I'm curious on, on the PHP that side as well. What, what year? 2003 is when Colby first came in gotcha. factory SQL 2004 is when I came in and started doing some implementations on the integration side for those customers. And around 2005 is when factory PMI was ready and where we had that full stack. And that's when inductive automation officially formed in terms of the DBA of Hackman Enterprises, there was CalMetrics, and then there was inductive automation. So that's how that story goes. And it's a really cool story. Ultimately, Steve just wanted to provide better solutions to his customers and said, we could do, we can do this, we can write it. And there's nothing off the shelf. And that's a kind of a common story for all integrators, right? But it is not every integrator has been successful in to be able to build the kind of software company that that we have built here today. And, and it is sentiment to a lot of Steve's direction and his vision that he had early on. And I've got a lot more questions, Travis. I want to let Dave maybe jump in. Dave, what sure. are your thoughts? Absolutely. No, I appreciate it for that. I was actually going to hold back because I do know most of the background of this. I actually had a conversation with a customer who I won't talk about who had been on factory PMI all those many years ago in the fairly recent couple of months. I guess, Travis, I want to talk about that transition, right? So you talked about, again, to, to your point, many systems integrators go and build products and solutions to help their end users, right? That is... Right 
a core tenant of a systems integrator. If you want to grow, if you want to get better, you need to go find ways around licensing. You need to go find ways around a variety of other pain points so that you can go pro provide better services for your clients. As I've had many conversations with, there are very few, and I would honestly struggle to come up with a group who has done as well as you guys at Inductive Automation have done, that have then transitioned away from the, we're going to be integrators, we're gonna be service providers into, we're gonna go build this product and sell this product. So can you maybe shed a little bit of light on the, hey, I think we have something with this factory PMI, we should be Inductive Automation, we should go, not just become systems integrators, we should go sell this as a software platform. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it purely from from the CalMetrics integration side, when we had factory SQL and factory PMI, when I was going out doing these implementations, converting existing systems over to factory SQL, factory PMI, we, we never thought twice about how much data we wanted to bring in, right? We're bringing everything. We're logging it all to the database. And when we were building the application, we got that data to everybody, right? And what we started seeing was this kind of transition from, hey, I've got this project where I, here's what I need to actually have built. Of course you have those, but then it turned into, hey, what about this next thing? I'd like to have this feature. Can you do that? And mm -hmm. it turned into, yeah, we can do that. We can build that in. And in fact, Steve has always been, being the owner, he's always been very hands-on and loves building things. When we moved into, bought our first building. He did all the HVAC system. We can talk more about that, but he, he had experiences where he go out there and he's trying, the customer has challenges, trying to see, see how we can solve them. He'd build it in a couple hours right there on site because we had the tools to do so and be able to show that and demonstrate it. And so what we really started seeing was like this, this effect that it had where we, where customers were really delighted. They were excited. They were passionate about where they wanted to go. And we had the tool set to help us move in that direction. And Steve was like, man, this, while it's, we're wildly successful, this is great for us. Other integrators need to be able to experience this as well. And it was his belief that this is, shouldn't just be our best kept secret. It could have been, right? It could have just been software that only was for CalMetrics. But Steve really believed that in, in giving this tool to other integrators, making it successful at integrators, because if he was successful with it, then they would be successful with it. And that is really the foundation of how this company got started was we focused on integrators and making sure integrators had the right tool set so they can go and deliver the best solution to their customers. That I think was a big vision of his, right? It wasn't just, I'm going to make a lot of money off this. It was, how can we collaborate with integrators to make this better? Ultimately, so the customer can win. And that's a, just a different philosophy than what's in the, what's out in the market. And I think that's a lot, owes a lot to have the success of this company as to why we are where we are today. If I can ask a question on that side, Travis. So I've made a post about inductive automation and ultimately ignition and how there's two, at least things that really stand out to me. It's number one, the university, right? Where you can go and yeah. for free, pretty much learn everything you need and the certification paths that you can then follow as a systems integrator. Were there like or other items or maybe similar items that you guys laid out to make sure it appeals really well to systems integrators. I'm just curious, like what else were the thoughts? And I'm sure there were stumbles along the way or challenges sure. and successes. So I'm curious to maybe hear that story from the beginning. The good news is that there were a lot of pain points out there, right? That, that Steve had identified and he actually made like this list of 25 pain points that he had. 
And a lot of them, you know, pain points that, from an integrator's perspective, right, from, from what he was running into, just being able to get access to the softwares, to be able to get the designer environment, to keep those up to date, to be able to learn how to do certain things. All of these were just pain points he had. And so <clears throat> when the foundation, like the main go-to-market strategy of Inductive Automation is through integrators. Integrators was the core, is the core of our business. And in order to make integrators successful, you've got to provide them not only the best tool, right? You got to have a good, the software has got to be good, but you have to have, provide them the best documentation. You got to provide them the best supports that you can possibly provide. You've got to provide them training and education on that because they're the ones that are going to go out and build these for you. And this shouldn't be something you put behind a pay door or a paywall. It, it, this is so fundamentally because integrators were so core, we gave all these services for free. We gave integrators free development licenses. We gave integrators free support. And back in the day, I was like the only support person. So we had the early adopters of the integrators out there using it. They call up and they would have not only questions on how to do things, but how would you go about implementing this? Or what's the best practice for this? And we would we'd provide that guidance, right? On, on how to move forward. Because if once they know how to do that once, then they can go off and do all sorts of amazing things, right? And they can continue that. And for that, for their customers, they can start answering that question. Can I do this? And say, yes, we can, right? Because we have the right tool, we have the knowledge, and we have the experience to go forward. So we really focused on providing these tools, providing the, and, and providing free support and making the software available to them so that, so that they can go and do their job most effectively. The inductive university was a perfect example of, man, I should be able to go to Google and search for how to do something in ignition, right? How to build something and it should just show up. If, if that kind of training or videos are behind, again, a paywall, it just makes it that much harder for people to act, use your product. And so we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours on building the videos and building the inductive university, but it's, but we did it because the community needs that and integrators need those tools so they can do their job, right? Integrators life is all about billing. Billable hours, right? We've got to be able to go keep these projects going. They don't have time to go and necessarily invest in go, traveling somewhere for a full week of training, or they may need small little pieces here and there, or if I may know most of it, but if I have a particular question, I need to get answered that question immediately. And, and so these tools were really all centered around making sure that they can be successful. Yeah, we've done a lot to, to encourage that. And I'll make the point, Travis, I think maybe for those who are listening or watching us that haven't been in an integration role, especially doing commissioning, time is, I want to say, is at a premium, right? So if you cannot reach somebody on the support line and be able to get either information, as you said, documentation or a way to do things, it becomes very difficult to maintain that relationship, right? You're very quickly going to either look elsewhere or have a really hard time continuing with that project. So I certainly appreciate yeah. and resonate with what you've mentioned, because I think that integrators are pressed to do things faster, quicker, and having the right support system in place is really important. Yeah, it's all because we experienced it, right? We lived this world for a long time. I did. I went out and if you've ever done, if you've ever been involved in, in wineries and in, in when Crush happens in like August, around that time period, when all the grapes are coming in, they need to be crushed and processed. That's a crazy time. Everything has to be running. It's 24 seven. And when you're in that environment, you understand the world that these integrators are, that they live in. And if they have an emergency or something that's happening, we need to be able to address that ASAP and provide them with people who know what to do. 
But what's the most frustrating thing if you call into support? You get somebody who's like reading off of a pamphlet or right? they're trying to figure out. They don't really know it. Like we've always made sure that the people that are doing support are ones who, who hopefully have experienced this, but also have a lot of experience with the product itself and know how to guide them through that. You, you got to have that or it's hard to be successful. Absolutely. Let me I, ask- think, I guess to, to the ahead, support Dave, comment, Travis, I don't think there's anything more frustrating in this line of work than calling a support line and just obviously being the most knowledgeable person about the product that, that you are trying to ask for help. I would imagine all of us have been in that position, and that is probably the most frustrating position that we can be in. But no, to the training videos, I think the training videos in Inductive University is great. I think also the folks at Opto22, they as part of kind of the larger Ignition ecosystem. They do a bunch of great training videos and other things, especially on the connection side, especially on the MQT side, in addition to all of the CODIS's stuff being open. So I just wanted to shout out all of the great work that both of you guys do and a bunch of other people in the community. It is, it certainly helps onboard people who don't know about things like this much faster. Yeah, I think I didn't say this specifically, but Steve really had this vision of we need to be open and transparent and transparency, I think was key because you got to be able to know, you got to be able to play around the software and you got to know what the prices of them are. You got to have training and documentation available. You got to have good support. You got to also have a good business that is, that's going to support this whole thing. He realized early on that, cause there was two companies, there was still an integration company and a software company. And he realized that in order for because other integrators are relying on this technology now, it's a critical part of their systems that we have to build an organization that's going to be there to continue to support them long-term. And he made the hard decision to not only set the stage that he's not competing against other integrators, but also that it's just, we need to move forward in a, and make this the focus. He shut down the integration side of the business, right? To focus purely on the software side and to invest more into integrators long-term with certifications and training and all these different pieces. Yeah, we haven't always, like you're saying, we haven't, we haven't made every decision perfectly. We've had some stumbles, but ultimately it's been that focus to just make sure that, uh, that we provide a, not only a sound product, but a good business that supports it. And Travis, I wanted to follow up on that same train of thought, and I'm sure you guys have tried a lot of different things throughout the years. Were there any maybe pitfalls that smaller integrators can learn from or those who are trying to follow in your footsteps and these are just not the best ideas that you've tried and didn't work out. I'm curious if there's any interesting stories that you can share, obviously. I can tell you one that was just, it's just funny because here we are at the time, right? A new software company coming into a space where there's pretty established SCADA products out there, right? And and I can imagine, I remember a time when we were back into like 2007, 2008, when we were going to ISA Expo in Houston, Texas pretty big expo and a lot of the other products, the major skater products were all there. And people will come through and be like, you guys are crazy to get in this space. Why would you do that? This is a, this is so established and mature. And we just didn't listen to it, right? <laughs> because we knew we had something different and new and it was a different focus. But early on, I think one of the biggest things was we, the price of the software is literally the first versions of Ignition or of a factor scale factor PMI were like, $1,900 and like $1,995 and $2,995. So like the whole thing was pretty inexpensive for everything. And then it people just didn't take us seriously because you're going against the other products that are there. That was for us, it was it starting to gain traction is to make sure that, that, that we looked at the perception of it and making sure that it not only 
function and did what it's supposed to do, but that pe- people would can look at it and take it seriously. So that's just a funny story in terms of early on, we had to like just artificially raise prices, right? To get people to, <laughs> to look at it more. But along the way, like for example, with integrators, with the certification in particular, we, we have a certification pro- program for integrators so they can become certified and gold certified and write that stamp that, hey, I'm certified. I can take that anywhere I am with Ignition. And with, with that, we've given integrators certification tests for free. And we didn't always do that. We were charging for it and realized well, that's silly because it's, they've got to be able to do it. We give them timelines where you have to complete that. Again, it's thinking integrators' lives. They don't have dedicated time to do it. So we've had to make a number of changes with certification process. And recently, we tried to tie it to training where you had to come to a training class, become certified. And again, that's difficult for integrators too. We're, we've made those kind of mistakes, but we're always making sure we're focusing it back on what's best for the integrator as we go forward. And, we, and we're not afraid to look at that and say, oh, whoops, this may not be the right approach for that. And over the years, we've done that, whether it be pricing type things, as we look at it, we just we want to make sure that at the end of the day, things look simple, that it's easy to understand, and that people can take advantage of it. No, I think that's interesting. I guess I'd like to ask a question about current state and past state integrators before we go ask you to tell us what you think the integrator of the future is going to look like. I guess, Travis, between kind of your experience as integrators and working with integrators for nearly the last 20 years, what would you say are some things that allow some integrators to be like successful? And then also on the other side, if you've seen reoccurring things of integrators who do not find certain levels of success, we would we'd love both the positives and negatives based upon your experience, please. Yeah, sure. So you look early on with Ignition, right? We were using SQL databases, <clears throat> pretty foreign to a lot of the folks, integrators and engineers that were building systems, right? They knew, they knew, for example, they knew Factory Talk, or they knew WinCC, or they knew Simplicity, or whatever it was, right? Wonderware. They knew those products. And that's what you need to know. You need to know how to build in there. You didn't necessarily need to know anything outside of that. And we started bringing IT technologies in, right? It meant that now the experience the integrators have to have is certainly bigger, right? The, and you have to be able to support and maintain databases. You have to understand now security and between these different products and how you integrate those. So it definitely... The needs of integrators, their experience, like what they need to know had to expand quite a bit as these technologies are coming into the OT space. And what we found is that what a lot of integrators were doing, were just hiring computer science engineers out of college who, who knew databases, who knew how to build a new Python, who knew how to build applications, didn't know the OT space very well, and but was able to teach them that side, right? Teach them what PLCs were and how all that works and, and have them paired up with a controls engineer to, to be able to build these kind of systems. And they were very successful with that, right? And you saw the types of applications that were built were bigger and there was more features that were possible, especially they can together answer those questions. Can I do this? Yeah, we can do that. Whereas when you get somebody who didn't have that expertise, they would be focused more on just the basics of my SCADA, right? And just focused on that and it would be built to be very static. And in terms of if I had, for example, if you had two machines or identical, wouldn't build it with object-oriented programming. You just build it with two different screens, right? So that those kind of level, that knowledge had to expand. These technologies forced that as, as it came in. So that was, I think, there. And it's definitely changing now even more, right? We can get into sort of how it's changed today and into the future, what that's going to look like. But the at the end of the day, integrators have always had to provide that 
think of the full solution, right? The full stack. And what we're doing is by bringing IT technologies, that stack has just gotten larger. And so their knowledge, their expertise, have, <laughs> they have to be experts on everything, right? And that's hard for one person to do all of it. So where I've seen people be successful is they bring in specialization, right? And have them work together on teams when it's possible. No, I think, I think all of that is really good. I guess I, I want to focus a bit on that, those, that IT stuff, because I think that's going to be part of the answer of what do the integrators, the, the future look like. But I guess I want to make sure Vlad doesn't have any other questions or thoughts on, on the kind of what, what has driven folks towards success. Because I know he's spent a lot of time working as an integrator and, and working with software that, that isn't nearly as, as open as some of the things that you guys are doing. So Vlad, do you, do you have any other thoughts before we talk about what does the future of integration look like with Travis? Sure, I guess I've always been battling with the thought or question whether to specialize in one of the, or I guess one of the palettes of the mm -hmm. ISA model or to be more of a generalist, right? Because as you mentioned, I think there's more and more technologies and it's becoming more and more difficult to be an expert in each one. So I'm wondering like what your thought is for maybe smaller integrators, right? As they're starting to enter the market or they're starting to find maybe those five person teams to 10 person teams. Do you think yeah. it's still better to specialize or you really find value in kind of like knowing that stack and hiring people across each one of those items? Yeah, you always have people who can be, who can understand kind of everything, right? Who are more generalists and can put those solutions together. You always get folks like that. But if you have a small integration company, especially if you're attacking larger projects, you want to be able to have people who have different levels of experience that they can all contribute right, to that team. For example, having somebody who understands SQL, the SQL language, which is not necessarily hard to learn, but it's, if it's not been your world for a long time, it's hard to write the more complex queries, right? Sometimes if you have joins and groupings and special things you want to do for creating certain kind of dashboards, having that expertise certainly somebody who can write that and write it in a good way, right? Write a query that's performant versus one that's going to be really slow and all that. Somebody who's a generalist will know how that works, but having somebody who's specialized in that piece can actually then add a lot more value ultimately, right? To the overall application. And even with like scripting, we've seen, seen integration integrators who have people coming who like know Java or Python and also know some object-oriented principles because those translate pretty well into, into ignition, if you look at UDTs or templates and or building scripting functions, right? They're typically, they know how to build that more and they can build those frameworks that then, if you build that framework, then you can have other folks use that framework and deliver an application pretty fast, right? So I, I think the ultimately integrators who have been successful, the ones bringing in that expertise where they can put it all in the same, in the same team what's changing is more, there's more IT technologies that are coming in, right? So you've got, you've got now, I mean, look at just the introduction of cloud and, or different kinds of time series databases, data lakes, you've got AI and ML tools, whether it's something that's on premise or whether it's in the cloud, you've got just you've got things like MQT, you've got all these, there's so much more that, that these integrators have to be knowledgeable about. And also on the UI side, like building front ends, you have to have people who know how to do user experience and UI design, because there, I've seen a big shift now where there's a focus on building the interface correctly and to the people that are going to use it, right? Versus just the engineer who's putting it all together, they'll just think of it and they'll build it out there, right? Rather than focus on, I'm going to interview these folks and make sure we get the right interface to the right people. 
And so that UI UX has changed. It just evolves so much with the technologies that are there. It just, it's harder and harder for one person to be able to take, to, to know all of it. I'm curious, Travis, maybe some specific technologies that you think will shape manufacturing and I guess more importantly, the end users, right? I think there's a lot of talks about augmented reality. Apple released their new headset, I think a week ago. There's a lot of conversations about AI, chat GPT, whatever that looks like. But what are your thoughts maybe on what integrators should be looking at as they maybe put new tools in their tool set? Yeah, I think about a lot because there's a lot of shiny, cool tools that are out there, right? That seem very appealing. And you can get stuck into, I love the quote, like in pilot project purgatory, where basically you're trying to bring in these tools and you're just always, you're not really getting to a full successful implementation, right? You're just more playing with these things. But anyways, like there's a lot of cool stuff out there. I think the trend that's happening now, the one that I see is if you look at industry 4.0 and digital transformation and all this talk about all these things we could do, that it, that means we have to have the data problem had to have been solved. If you go into most companies today, you still have data stranded. You still have people writing things on clipboards and whiteboards. You still have different or siloed systems, right? You do have data that's not contextualized or modeled. And so it's very difficult to get in, to get to some of these bigger systems without the right foundation being laid. I think what the, one of the big shifts and where integration should be focused right now is how to go and make sure the right foundation on the operational side, make sure that's laid so that if we have that right architecture and we're delivering data with context to our, to our business, we have the opportunity to start playing with these other tools and to get in and see how they can be used within our settings. What kind of benefits can they bring us? And also even a lot of end users don't even have a clear use case of where they want to go. What problem are you trying to solve? And integrators can take the ex- experience they've had with solving challenges for one customer and bring it to many others, right? But when with laying that right foundation. So I think that's probably the big piece right now that I see is being able to make sure all that data from Brownfield and Greenfield are together. A lot of people talk about unified namespace. I think it's important with context. Then there's so much opportunity that can happen with that data. I think that just has to happen. We can't really think about some of these higher level things until we lay that right foundation. And we, so we, integrators know that because they live in the practical world, right? Where they see what's actually out there. So yeah, it's aligning that. And it's an interesting dilemma because I've also, I've encountered similar problems. I would say that I think we still lack experts that understand the two domains, right? And this is going back to the conversation OTIT. But ultimately, there's a lot of technologies, I think, that cannot be underestimated, right? You can be, you can build an entire career on just networking devices, right? And so a lot of, I want to say, components go into that stack. So when I think when we have conversations about unified namespace, it is a difficult challenge, right? And I think there's some posts sometimes on LinkedIn that as a five-step process, but in reality, it is a long journey to get there. Uh, I'm curious, know, like, what, were your, what was your experience on that side? It's interesting because what we're really talking about for end users, what we're talking about is a culture change, right? It's they've got to they've got to be able to buy into a new way of thinking, right? And and getting OT and IT bringing that together, and you still have you still have some people out there who are just a kind of a they're against any bringing in new stuff, they're against change and all of that. And it gets very difficult, right? The integrator's job gets harder in those mm-hmm. scenarios, right? Because ultimately 
integrator has to provide they have to provide the implementations that they need. But I think today it's more of integrators are we have to shift in thinking this is going to be a long term relationship or strategy I have with this company, and I've got to be able to deliver to the executive teams or whoever is making those decisions. Here's this is where the industry is going. This is how architectures are changing. This is how we see things going and get them to buy in because if they can get buy-in and get especially executive sponsorship, a lot of these things could be a lot more smooth, right? And going forward, and there's more awareness of that. I think for a lot of integrators, that's a hard journey because you're tra- you have to have a skill set to be able to do that, right? To, to show them where they need to go and think about that long-term strategy. I just want to say it's not easy, right? I could tell you companies want to, they want to use this, these technologies and they want to digitize and all that, but it's going to take that partnership. I think SIs are crucial in that journey to really have to really sit down together and plan out and implement this in phases and get the wins along the way and do it together, right? And even I've seen integrators now who are working together because there's it, maybe one integrator can't handle the entirety of that customer. There's multiple sites, there's multiple things going on, team up and make that an effort. I think that the life of the integrator is changing quite a bit. Absolutely. I would I- definitely agree. Hey, what are your I think that's a great answer. I love kind of the comment of you need to go build those relationships. I think to some extent we need to potentially look at changing the historic systems integration model of I just want to go sell more hours to do more, more programming to the we have to become strategic partners to these end users to go help discover the use cases and make business cases for them. I think that is a large part of where integration is going to go if groups want to continue to grow and become more successful in addition to the technologies. So Travis, I'm going to ask you probably the most difficult question that us or any integrator can ask you is how do we do that? How does a legacy integrator, even a leading integrator, go shift the mindsets internally, go upskill internally to not only cover all of these new different technologies, but go change to becoming strategic partners? Ooh, that, that is definitely a hard question to answer. I think there's a couple of potential answers to that question. One is first get, getting your skill sets, increasing your skill sets and bringing, whether it's dedicated, making sure that we go and get trained up on certain technologies that people are aware of that. There's going to be investment in that, right? You're going to have to have the agreement that I need to invest in, in knowledge and in, in training to make sure that our teams are or where they need to be. And that's hard because integrators have to bill, right? So balancing billing and the investment and the training is difficult, certainly difficult. I totally understand that, but I think it has to happen, right? You've got to be more aware of what's there. I think the other part of it though is at the end of the day, it's, I think there's a lot, a lot more about collaboration ecosystem. I think if integrator can start making relationships with other integrators and start or even just vendors and establishing these relationships, I think we, we can, like, you can rise all ships, right? Rising tides raises all ships. With that, we can all go for go further faster. I think that's probably an important part of it. At the end of the day, too, if you're working with an end user and you're doing a project, is to kind of get out there and see what other challenges they have. Walk with them, talk with them, see what else they're trying to figure out, right? And how you can, you and or your relationship, leveraging relationships, how you can provide a solution to that and just think bigger. So it's a definitely a hard answer, Dave. I don't have the perfect, hard question. I have the perfect answer. But I think ultimately we're in this kind of, it's interesting. And I was, I did an event that really focused on ecosystem a couple of weeks ago. And it was, it's all about this collaboration, this openness, this transparency, this working together. I think, I just think that's an important piece that I think the successful ones are doing that. 
I, I would agree with that. I made some major shifts in, in my business and how I do work a number of years ago to move towards those relationship buildings. And I think we see some integrators and some groups do a very good job of it. And I think that they will become and continue to lead on the integration side. And I think we see some groups who do a poor job of it. And th there will, I suppose there will always be a need for people to do the work. There will be in my thought probably a small number of very successful very leading groups if they're integrators if we call them something else into the future who can understand all of these facets of business and so i think it'll be very interesting to see what the future lies with that i do want to shout out to rob in the chat was saying that he was at ia training in Folsom last week and paulo was an excellent instructor in one of the better training classes that, that he has been to. So thank you. We always love Rob's comments and I wanted to be sure to shout that out. I don't know if Paula will be will be listening, but Travis will have to go give them a, a gold star on the sticker chart at some point. Yeah, you know what too, I think that's awesome. We really have great trainers and they, the support of the training teams. What, hard for us is to make sure that continues to be first class as we grow, as we've gotten bigger to, you, you, have, a, you have more calls coming in and you have to be able to make yep. sure that expertise stays there. We also have with the kind of a drain of that, right? Like people in support want to move to other divisions of the company and you have that kind of experience drain that happens. So we're, well, I'm glad you have that experience. We're really trying hard to make sure that happens. But what I want to say in the training, what I've seen a lot in trainings is this has been a good place. If you can get out and get away for a week for the training, it's, I've seen a lot of integrators come together and make those relationships at these trainings, right? And they realize that they're all solving, trying to solve similar challenges in, in terms of how their approach and just be able to have that, that an avenue to communicate and to talk about those, especially with ICC. We see a lot of it there with ICC at our, our mission community conference that happened in September. It's if you attend these things, if you make an effort to go and again, invest in the training, you will be surprised by the relationships and uh, that you build and with where you can go with some of this stuff and how it really changes the landscape for you as integrator. Absolutely. No, I think I was gonna, the, go ahead, Vlad. Go ahead. I, I was going to make the comment to the previous conversation, because I think it's very interesting to think about that transition. Right. And I think in my mind, or at least like in my perspective, it's interesting to see more KPIs tied to integrators that are not technology based. Right. Because at the end of the day, a SCADA on MES or the data that we collect from the plant floor is used to make decisions in order to improve efficiency, reduce quality. And so if you get involve the integrators and have them own part of those initiatives within a facility. I've seen that they obviously provide a much, I want to say, tailored approach to how the systems are handled, right? At least that's been my experience versus just, we have a very fixed project. We need you to implement this new system, whether it is changing out some old equipment to a newer one, but ultimately it's getting them involved at the process level that I've seen a big change in for the end users. Yeah. And it goes without saying there, there's going to be no shortage of work here, right? There's a lot of changes happening. End users are hungry for these transitions and more skill sets. The more that, the more that these integrators can help in those directions, it's going to be, there's going to be plenty of new challenges that they can help them solve. And I think that's, what's exciting about this, right? Is the industrial automation arena is there's a huge transition happening and there's, it's, and by, by leveraging kind of openness and be able tools and having tools integrate and work together and having a larger ecosystem, having partners who can help implement those solutions, we can actually get there and we can start seeing these benefits come to reality.
Absolutely. Speaking and of no shortage of work, if I can, one last question before Dave does the ad read. Travis, speaking of no shortage of work, right? Do you see us training enough individuals required for manufacturing? I think that there's an expanding or overwhelming need in our space. I think there's a lot of reshoring initiatives. I think there's yeah. more robots sold last year, if I remember correctly, than in the three years before that combined. Do you see enough experts entering the field to fulfill these challenges? And if not, how can we maybe help that as well as an industry? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And one that we have this, we talked about this dedication that inductive automation has to the community, right? In terms of, especially integrators and building tools with, we have the inductive university, we have the ignition exchange where people can share things they built on ignition, right? We have a good forum, very lively forum. People are talking, communicating on the forum. The people can share ideas with us, good documentation. They can contact us. We're trying a lot to make sure that there's a, these things available to the community. And we have made amazing relationships, right? With our SIs, our partner SI partners, with other vendors and so on, that we there we have to, we all of us as vendors have to be dedicated to helping move this industry forward and helping integrators too be able to acquire more talent. So some of the, what we're actually doing right now is we have this educational and industry engagement, specifically with like educational institutions where we have somebody dedicated to working with different universities and creating curriculum and and be able to help train that next generation, right, out of university. Because I came from that, there was nothing like that in there. If I would have found that, it would have been because I knew somebody who knew, and that's how I came in, right, because I stumbled upon it. But being able to see that there's opportunity here and that there's a lot of opportunity and then getting the right training early on is important. So we're really engaged in this and we have, I think, around 60 universities using it now. And it's not just universities, could be any kind of educational institution. We're donating software to make sure they have the right things. We're also leveraging our partners. So we are bringing in Abda 22 as an example for University of Waterloo. They provided the hardware. We provided the software and helped provide the curriculum. We then have an integrator who is near that, who is going out there and providing some training and helping with some of the, with some of the, the sessions and all of that. So we're trying to anchor our SI partners, of course, with hardware companies and with and our partners with us to help to help drive that next generation. And I really see this as being a crucial part of how we go forward. And I can tell you, we're extremely dedicated to it. We're putting a lot of investment in it, and we and it's been so successful so far. Awesome! No, I love that. absolutely. I think Dave? all of this is exciting. I do have to briefly pause this because we have some people to thank. Right. And so we want to thank Opto 22 for sponsoring this show and the entire theme and honestly just being amazing community members of the industrial manufacturing community. Now, if you guys don't know Opto 22, if you've somehow missed it, Opto 22 is a California based privately held manufacturer of industrial automation hardware and software. They have nearly five decades of experience with an install based in the millions at thousands of customers worldwide and are known for highly reliable, mission critical USA made products backed by lifetime warranties. What makes Opto 22 products unique is their engineering philosophy for combining rugged, reliable OT systems with open IT technologies into affordable and versatile products that save developers, engineers, and technicians time, money, and effort. Opto's flagship products are the Groove Epic and Edge Programmable Industrial Controller, 
and the Groove Rio and an, an Ethernet-based universal I.O. remote system. Learn more about Opto22 and the Groove product line at opto22.com. I will also say we've had Benson on for a couple of shows. Every show we have with Benson is amazing. I believe the last one we had him on was for episode 56, but we'll have to go ahead and throw that in the comments as well because I, I apparently have lost it from the time that I made the comment last week about to go check out the couple of episodes that we have had with Benson. And now, Travis, I don't know if you've got it, but one of my favorite parts about these when we've got a sponsor that comes on that makes hardware, we get to go ask Vlad to do the Vanna White and showcase the hardware behind him on the wall. So Vlad, can you go showcase the Groove product lineup, please? Let me unzoom out, I guess, a little <laughs> bit. So that's the Epic, and there you have the Rio next to it. Awesome. Thank can you. you well, yeah, we can see it. No, thank you. It is, Travis, it is probably one of my most favorite things that we do on the show that Vlad, I imagine, yeah. hates every single time I make him do it. But it is a crowd pleaser, and we will continue to. Yep. I, I can show one it, too. Nice. If I was back at the desk, I have one floating around there, but I am in a borrowed client conference room. So alas, I do not have any of that hardware floating around. I do want to transition into some fun stuff. You set us up talking about the education side. And one of the really interesting things that Inductive does is you guys have your maker edition. And the first thing that I saw when the maker edition came out a couple of years ago is I feel like these guys made it like for themselves for home automation. There, there are other great benefits, but I'm like, I feel like it's, it's home automation. Can you tell us a little bit about the Maker Edition, a little bit about the home automation craze that has swept you guys? I know it swept a bunch of the Opto22 folks. You know, it's swept a ton of the people in the community. So I, I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about what you're doing there, please. Okay, so I, yeah, this is great because it's we talked about how we're like dedicated community, right? Provide these tools and to, to integrators, like we're do, we do a lot to help educate integrators on different technology. We bring our partners in, help them understand these things. We have a role to play in SI's knowledgement and getting their knowledge up as well, right? As much as they do, they rely on partners, companies like us to help with that journey. And so, over the years, though, working with integrators. There's always that, hey, I'd love to use Ignition for home, right? I have this application I like to build. I've integrators who want to build to, to build like a bill tracking, like for managing their bills, or they've wanted to do some like home automation type thing because they they find that fun. And we've we before we we'd give integrators and especially certain people some licenses so they can do that. But we're like, you know what? We can make this a real thing. And that's where the maker edition came in to be, is that hey, let's give a a, a free for personal use product out there with for with ignition so that tinkerers integrators and even us of course myself included can use it at home for whatever purposes right whether it's home automation whether it's building a cool application at home and another big piece of it is you look at with the educational side we have working with institutions these students that are getting curriculum getting that are getting training on it can then go and actually take the maker edition same code base, same configuration, just to get a free license of it. And they can actually leverage it and start learning even more on their own. So it helps everybody with that. But mainly it was so that we can do some cool home automation stuff and the tinkerers can have a cool platform to play around with because all the MQT stuff's in it. There's more and more devices for home that have support MQT out of the box. And we could just directly bring that into Ignition and build some cool dashboards. No, that, that is amazing. And what are the limitations? Um, go go so ahead, Vlad. The, Sorry, the, Travis, yeah, the, I wanted to the, ask. The, so I have the, the current Ignition on the Raspberry Pi, on the Opto. I have a PC sitting next to me that's also running Ignition. What's the difference yeah. between Maker Edition? 
So the Maker Edition is, again, free for personal use. So non-commercial, can't use it, obviously, in a production setting for a customer. And you can go to your inductive automation account. You have to get a license. It's a free license, but you go to your inductive automation account. If you don't have one, you can set one up, easy peasy. And you get, I think you can get to three license keys for it. There is, there is like a, there is a limitation. I forget exactly how many, a limitation on how many uh, clients you can have launched uh, locally with it. I think there's a couple small limitations, but ultimately most of the modules are there. I think there's a couple that are not available, but if you go to the website, our website, look at the maker edition, it spells out those things quite clearly, but it really allows you to go and do a lot of cool things. I haven't come across limitation here for my house. Awesome. Absolutely. And speaking of your house, Travis, you said that you're willing to go showcase a little bit of what you're doing on the home automation side. I absolutely, I'd love to show. I can explain what I have in my house and a little bit of what I built. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and share the screen and let you take it away, please. Yeah. So here is, here I have a, a prospective client running and in, so just a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people have things like Nest thermostats or they've got different cameras from different manufacturers, or they might have MyQ for their garage door. There's all sorts of different devices out there, or maybe they have Ring for their doorbell. And the, all of those systems have APIs that you can interface with. And what, what we've actually done is we've built a, a module, we've community open sourced it module that makes it really easy to interface with all of those different APIs. And we actually have all examples built out so you can easily just, it just creates those tags automatically that we can bring onto screens. So for example, here you're seeing, I got like my, I have two thermostats, my downstairs and upstairs and they're Nest thermostats. And we built this, I built a template that basically mimics that, get the data directly from it and get it from the API. I also have a lot of, a lot of lights or switches, motion detectors, Again, a lot of them support MQTT. Some are Z-Wave or Zigbee. I've got a lot of can lights that are all Zigbee. And I have, what we have there is there's, you can get a Z-Wave or Zigbee USB stick that basically has the radio in it. And then you can use, I have, there's JavaScript to Z-Wave, JavaScript to MQTT and Zigbee to MQTT. Using those, get that data in MQTT ignition. And we can basically like my front door lock, my garage door, and a lot of these lights right here are all Z-Wave and Zigbee and coming from that system. So I've got a whole slew of different things that we're bringing in. Here I can see in control the system. I can see if I have anything that's failing, like APIs or alarms that are going on. I have also tapped into the energy of that. So I happen to have solar and I do have a power wall. So I can actually see the current state of the energy use of the house and how energy is flowing. So just again, going through APIs, going through MQTT, going through these different systems, I can easily bring all that data in and play around with it and do a lot more. Now I've got a lot of other stuff in here. I actually do manage my bills. I do a lot of other applications locally with Ignition, but it's it's been awesome. And I guess one thing that really impressed me is that you've mentioned that there is a protocol or I guess a module that you guys developed so that the thermostat, for example, that doesn't go through like a node red that has some drivers yeah. that goes directly into Ignition as is. What, what, is, what does that look like? How could one find more information on that or install it? Yeah, good question. Let me go here for a second. What we've, in terms of integrating with a, with those APIs, right? It, you can go and write the Python code in Ignition and be able to interface, but then everybody's, when I built this system, everybody's asked me, Hey, Travis, can I get your code right for these interfacing with these different systems? And, and the way I wrote my code wasn't 
perfectly transportable to that, how I did my systems. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I really want to have some way where it'd be easy for somebody to do it. The, there's a, a guy out there named Kyle Chase from Chimera Systems Integrator, and he's also very interested in home automation. We teamed up and built this open source thing called Kyvis Labs, where we have some modules there, and I'll show you what that looks like. You should still be seeing my ignition yes. configuration, but what we did is this module that allows you to define APIs. And each API, as you can see, I've got a whole bunch of them here from like my Rachio sprinklers to Samsung, smart things, all these different things. And with any one of these, let's say I go to look at the sprinkler, we define the integration with that API in terms of the XAML. So like how the authentication looks, all that you see the URLs in here and the different functions or endpoints that we want to call with this, right? And so we define it here where we wouldn't put username and passwords or anything like that in here. That, that would be defined in, so if I were to go look at this one, I'd go to variables. I'd have that defined here, right? What that bearer token is and how to get that. And then, or what the username and password is, or if it's open, if it's OAuth, how that would work. Like this Google one mm -hmm. is OAuth. So I'd have to go in and be like, let's authorize the API and go back to the login. That's what's happening right now. So we built that. I'm going to go share this tab is on GitHub. If you go look for Kyvis Labs, you'll see there's some modules and I have the API client module here. And that is, is just that. And with that, you can download the module. And then there's also a bunch of, in the API YAML, all the YAMLs we've got for the different endpoints are all in here. So people can bring those in and then just put the username and passwords in and go pretty easy. We've, I also use pushover. So I do push notifications to my phone with pushover built a module for ignition to notify alarm notification pipeline to go to pushover. And then we've built some apex charts in, in with this, the client that I showed, there's those charts that you saw on that energy were apex charts. And just cause there's some cool things you can do with that. So there's a couple of different modules that we contributed for this space. I guess I, I will just throw out that Travis, knowing that you and Kyle Chase both are getting involved into home automation is probably the least surprising thing of the, of this millennium. And the fact that you guys are going together to, to build a bunch of this is not surprising. I am very happy to see that, uh, that a lot of it is being open sourced into, into the community. I think that is always fantastic. The only downside is that Vlad doesn't need another project, but Vlad will probably now have to find, I don't know, five or six or 700 hours to, to go reconfigure all of the home automation that he is rolling out into his house. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like with the MQTT stuff, super easy, right? And there's a lot of, Shelly makes a lot of devices that I have a lot of that's MQTTs. There's some cool stuff out there, man. It's fun. Absolutely. Home automation stuff is fun. And I think with, there's things like Home Assistant out there and others, mm -hmm. that's all good, but you can do so many cool things with Ignition, man. And that's why I love playing with this. No, I think that this is awesome. Travis, thank you so much for taking us through a bit of what you've built. It's always awesome to, to go hear what you are doing. We do want to be, res we do want to be respectful for, of time. And so I want to ask you one of the most fun questions I get to ask everyone. I want to ask you what the future is. And I'd like you to go predict the future. It could be the future of manufacturing automation. It could be the future of integration. But I would love to get your perspective on that, please. All right, the future. Okay, so I think in the next five years, for sure, right, there's going to be this huge surge in terms of the unified namespace and, and having data models defined. And there's a lot of question around data models in terms of who is defining that? If I have a robot, 
Uh, is the customer, the end user defining what that robot looks like and that model? Is it the manufacturer? Is there an open standard out there? There's a lot around that. I think different groups are trying to figure that out. Hopefully we get, we get somewhere for the next five years. I do think that will continue because there's that real need. The data has to be modeled properly in, in, order, we, in order to go really further. I do think that a lot of that, I think SIs play a big role in that, bring it back to them because they're the ones been implementing this and they had, and they try to standardize themselves. And I think a lot that their contribution can really be important to that. I think this huge shift into data has got to be modeled, contextualized and into a, a, whatever it is, if it's MQTT broker or if it's other things, but into a space that allows us to utilize that data a lot further. Along with that, if we start doing some of those, with, and the start, some of these models are being built out, then there's a plethora of, you can actually start building analytics tools off of those data models. Let's say if there is a standard of one, let's say it's energy, or if it's a particular machine, we want to predict failures of that machine, and we know what that profile machine looks like, and then they, we could build the analytics around it, it's going to make that more accessible to people to use that. And I do think that integrators play a role there and help build those, those tools. And hopefully they can provide, I think there will be more vendors that provide services that allow these kind of native applications to be built out and used and consumed by customers because they have the expertise to do. So I think there will be a lot in that space because, you know, there is certainly, you can go buy, like there's some IOT companies that you can go buy their sensor and they already have the cloud service and do the AI and ML for you. That works, right? But it's going to be for that data only. But what about all the other data you've got, right? And you've got a plethora of machines and equipment. And I think the more that we start attacking that collaboratively, again, rising tides bring all ships up, right? That that ultimately we can see that proliferation happening because the customer will benefit from the results of those, right? Whatever that's going to be. So I do think that's a big part of this next five years. And I even see a shift in the cloud providers and some of these services where like they one company can't do all, right? They can't provide everything, soup to nuts, right? They're, they have to realize that there's an ecosystem at play and that willingness to to collaborate and to play in that space. I think more of that will happen and, and there will be some, some pretty cool advancements that will go from there. So that, I think that's the kind of more short-term future, right? So once you get there, then you have the ability, why you were asking earlier about augmented reality or virtual reality. And I think there's a big space for augmented reality to bring in, in terms of training new people and like simulations in terms of being able to go out and get and have, there is wearables and things can help if it's done right, can help augment and provide more context to the person doing their job. I do think that is beneficial, but there's a lot of things that have to be solved before we can do that. Right now it's all custom to make that happen. I think if we can build these blocks, then those things become a lot easier to actually approach because then there's, like for example, if you had no particular machine, an algorithm can be built to, to that it can, if a camera can detect that that's the machine and then know what to do with that, right? And show it. So I think there's a lot that's going to happen. That If there's any crystal ball, that's what I see here, that shift. I, I love that. I'm now going to ask you the second hardest question of the show, Travis, is will there be one group that comes and takes over the, this is how we will build a standardized data model, a structure, right? R right now, right. lots of us are doing it bespoke per client, We've got the ISA, we have OPC UA, we have MQT and Sparkle V. We've got a bunch of different groups. And will there be one group that kind of rises above all? I'm not even going to ask you if to, to tell me which one, but will there be one that comes out ahead in this? 
This is a highly contested space. It's really hard to predict that. I do think that one will become more on top only for the fact that there's new organizations that are being structured to mm -hmm. help advance, for example, advanced manufacturing. Yep. There's organizations that are built to that purpose and are getting funding by government to help advance manufacturing. And they have to be able to solve these kind of challenges. They're not going to build this stuff themselves. They're going to figure out what's going to be the right standard to go forward. And I think even companies like robotics companies are, I think they're even starting to realize the standard is important and they're coming together and building a standards body around what that model mm -hmm. should look like. And so I do think it'll start to get to that. It's just going to take, it really takes vendors and the community at large to just want to, to do that adoption, right? And to buy into it. I know we've been all been doing it ourselves for so long. It just has to change if we want, because if we can get there, more stuff gets unlocked. We're not doing it ourselves, right? We're able to collaboratively do it rather than trying to reinvent the wheel every time. Absolutely. I think but that's I a good prediction. Today, but <laughs> no, I think it's a good prediction. I think we will eventually have to get to a standard, but I don't, I it would be hard to guess, right? It would be almost a dart on the dartboard as to who will come ahead. But I agree in the next yeah. three to five years, we certainly will have to go find a standard if we're going to all get to the next level. So thank you for that, Travis. I'd love a, a book recommendation. I know you said you, you've got a book or maybe a couple of book recommendations. Yeah. Uh, what do you have for us? So I've got one book that I've been reading recently and I have it here is The Levels of Leadership by John C. Maxwell here. And the... This is, our company is growing quite a bit. And uh, I recently transitioned into this chief technology evangelist. And my role is to just spread the awareness of ignition, right? And to work with industry experts to get out there and to help move this industry forward, right? That's ultimately our goal. And to make sure that our product gets shaped in there. Because you mentioned the standards. Look, I don't know where it's going to go, but I can tell you that we're committed to make sure that our product stays in line with where the trends are going, right? And with where these standards are going. So that it's easy for customers to take advantage of it. We don't want people to have to reinvent all that every time, right? We're very committed to that. And anyways, for me and a lot of our organization, there's new leadership. And we're like, this book here is really helping to see how we can ultimately, how you can inspire people to, to think outside the box and do more rather than dictate, right? In terms of what you need to be doing, right? And to help, help create the organization. I think it's really important for us as we grow to that leadership. And this was something that our CEO had all the new leaders read. And so I really appreciate that one. Outside of that, I'm also from, from building applications. I, see, I said earlier, is a big need for UX. And I'm not a UI UX expert, right? We have people in our organization, that's all they do. I'm like amazed by the stuff that they, that they think of, the way they're thinking, the how they, the wireframes they build and all of that. It's just, it's amazing to me. And so I'm reading a, a book that's called Don't Make Me Think, which is about all about UI UX and, and it's just because I want to get my head around some of these principles, right? How to build better design because it helps with everything. And then in my like free time, I love audible books. I do a lot of like sci-fi fiction type books. So it's a lot of fun there. Anyways, those, hopefully that will give you a little bit of what I'm doing now. No, absolutely. I think that that is fantastic. I appreciate that. I guess I'd, I'd like some career advice. I'd like to maybe have you give some career advice. I feel like you, you talked kind of future looking best practices for integrators. But if someone here is an individual person and is looking for kind of best career advice early to mid career, what would your recommendation be to the person, Travis? 
Yeah. In terms of, so let's maybe have a question for you around that. Are we focused like more on career path or more of like how I can get educated to help open up more options or expand my current career? What are your so, thinking there? Both. If you've right. got different pieces of career advice, we intentionally leave the question broad to get the best pieces of advice that we possibly can. Okay. I think, okay. The biggest advice I can give is that, I, I, so I obviously work with Index Automation and when I engage with different customers and partners, SIs, I sit there and dream, oh my gosh, I wish that I could just go and do this myself. I wish that I could go and, and help with these journeys because there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think especially around right now, around this distributed architecture, edge computing and MQT in particular, like that option or UI UX and building better design. I think more, the more educated you get on those, the more you can do that, the more that will open up. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and it's changing, like it's really changing end users lives for the better. Making interfaces better is exciting. Making, getting access to more data is exciting. I think that is an area where. If, if you're an integrator, there's, you, you can, nobody's doing this perfectly, right? There's a lot of opportunity to go help them with that journey. I think there's a lot of cool stuff to learn right now around that. And it's, the technology is all available. It's all there. It's mm-hmm. now about making it reality and put it together. Probably not the best answer, Dave, but hopefully. <laughs> I think it was a great answer, Travis. I think it was a great answer going and figuring out how to go put everything together. If you can do that and you will be successful no matter integrator or anywhere else that that you land. So so thank you for that. And then last, Travis, last question for you, Travis, is who should reach out? This is our open forum to you to go talk to all of our listeners for kind of any and everything you need. Let me preface this by saying, if you guys have somehow not run across Ignition and inductive automation before, and you haven't in the last almost 80 minutes gone to go listen to it, go check out inductiveautomation.com and go down, download yourself a free trial of Ignition. So beyond that, Travis, what can we do? Who are you looking to talk to? Is inductive hiring? What sort of customers or integrators are you looking for? Your open forum on this. Yeah. So three, three areas, like I said, partnerships are important. SIs are really a big, and we're putting a, we're investing more into our integrator program. And so if you're an integrator and this is a partnership, right? This is, we offer a lot. We want to be able to help integrators go further. So reach out to us. We've got great teams who are here to help especially our sales engineering teams. We have folks that on the biz dev side that help with opportunities and getting engaged in bigger areas. So like in, in doing that coming in and working towards being premier, I think there's a lot of opportunity with that on that piece. I do say call to action is we are here. Take advantage of that service. From a partnership standpoint, we are just about ready to be, we're going to be announcing a new partner program. I mean, because we really feel it's important to bring these companies together. If you, if you're, we ultimately, if you have an idea of how we should collaborate with companies, or if there's a company that wants to collaborate with us, reach out. We're interested in seeing how we can, what that better together story is, because we know we're not the only solution in the whole thing. So those are, I think would be the kind of two big call to actions. Of course, we are always hiring. You can go to our website, the jobs section of the website. We have lots of positions available now that we're remote first, or there's the ability to be remote. We are hiring engineers around the country. It's not like it used to be where you had to relocate for us. Now you can be where you are. And, and that allows us to kind of expand our reach. And there's a lot that we can do every division from support to even to PR, to human resources, of course, to development, all of that we are hiring and sales engineering. So please reach out if you have, if you're interested. Awesome. 
Travis, Thank you me. mentioned this very briefly. I wanted to throw out one last question. So the ICC that is coming up in a couple of months, yeah. I know that last year, I don't know if it was the first year where you guys held a hackathon. I was curious if there's any confirmed events happening that might be interesting for systems integrators or otherwise yeah. that you how, can how, talk about. How can I forget that whole thing? No. So our conference, our Ignition Community Conference is in September. We've been doing this now for over, this is our 11th year excited about that, doing the conference. And during the conference of about, I think four years back, myself and Kevin McCluskey, we ran the sales engineering division and we were coming out with perspective. And we're like, man, I want a new kind of session for the conference. I want something that's more than just PowerPoint presentation. And we thought, what about you and I on stage doing a live build, competing each other, let the audience decide who wins. And so we did this thing called the Build-A-Thon. And mm -hmm. the first couple of years, it was myself and Kevin competing each other. It was this Team Kevin versus Team Travis type of idea. But we realized that this was a cool thing. We wanted to expand that to our community, especially our integrators. And what we did last year was we had integrators compete in many challenges. And then they, so the last couple of years, we've had integrators involved. They compete a couple mini challenges, get two integrators that come to our offices that do three days of, or two days of building a, an application and then demonstrating it and some live elements on stage and making an audience votes who the, they like the, what project they like the most. And we're, it's super exciting. It's a fun event. We're doing that again this year. In fact, there will be an announcement pretty soon for all the integrators and how they can apply and uh, to be able to start competing in that event. So super exciting. Thanks for mentioning that, Vlad, because that's really important. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I, in fact, had a conversation about that, I don't know, three hours ago with a couple of groups that, that I know. I think it, it is always super exciting. I think September 26th through 29th is the ICC this year, if anyone is, yeah. is interested. I think I got seven emails from all of my different accounts reminding me and saying early bird tickets are now on sale. But no, Travis, th this has been amazing. We, at some point in the near future, will have to go ahead and get you back on to continue this conversation. But thank you for being here. Thank you to Opto22 for sponsoring this. Thank you all for going and hanging out with us. If you guys are watching live, please feel free to connect with Travis, follow Inductive Automation, connect with Vlad and myself. All of our LinkedIn profiles should be both if you're listening in person and if you're listening in podcast form, you guys can go ahead and hear that out. If you guys have managed to make podcast, please hit the follow button. Please rate us five stars and subscribe. I have found that if I ask people to subscribe, Travis, more people like and subscribe, and then the numbers continue to trend up. But th this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you, everyone. We'll see everyone next week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank Travis. You. Thank you, everyone.